Welcome to the Haunted Hacker podcast number 42.1 for Gary Mary. Um, a little bit of news before we get started. Uh, I just spoke for DHS uh, last week. Next week is um, ISSE, which is a uh, part of EMA.org, uh, think tank in Europe. I'll be speaking on their think tank. Um, other than that, not a whole lot of earth shattering news. Um, so we have a special guest today. Gary, who uh, we've crossed paths in the past, uh, maybe not at the same time, but but similar places and similar people, um, has a really interesting background. So Gary, why don't you introduce yourself and give us a little bit of your uh, background? And it's great to have you, by the way. Hey, thanks, Mike. Thanks, Kim. Yeah, uh, my name's Gary Mary. Um, you know, I've had an amazing journey in technology. Uh, I started out on a farm in Missouri, uh, read a bunch of you know, Jack London books and all of that and joined the Marine Corps. And, uh, you know, after the Marine Corps decided that uh, it's time to go to college and have been in technology ever since. And, and really, if anything, cybersecurity has been the culmination of everything before it. And so even getting here, you know, running a cybersecurity company and actually my third cybersecurity company, it's all built on what I did, you know, before this. I was a coder. I was a C guy. Uh, then later, begrudgingly, C++. Never could manage it, but I, I coded in it. Uh, so, yeah, it's, um, it's been a great journey. I've done some really amazing things. And some of the stuff I want to talk about today, you know, some of the things you hear about. And, and you know, why don't we? Why don't they? Why can't they? Why isn't the CIO in the boardroom? Why isn't... Uh, you know, why aren't they listening to me? I got the volume all the way to 11. No one's listening to me. Why aren't they listening to me? And I've done all of that. I've turned the volume all the way up. I've been in boardrooms. I've been ignored and I've been listened to. So, um, you know, running across you, Chris Roberts, Kim. And, uh, you know, if anything, I'm a, I'm a collector. I'm a collector of ideas. I'm a collector of thinkers. And every once in a while, I'll find a thinker like yourself. Kim, Chris Roberts, and I uh, kind of, you know, latch on to them. And, and, you know, there's so much redundancy today. People are saying the same things over and over and over. And when you can find somebody who's, you know, kind of thinking well and not just repeating and not just this cookie cutter thing, you know, you kind of try to get close and see what they're up to. So that's how, that's how you and I kind of got together. I, I saw something that you had done. I'd seen a couple of your podcasts and I was like, listen, I want to, I want to pay attention to this guy. I want to know what Haunted Hacker is all about. And so even though I've been kind of lurking out in, in uh, Discord for a while, but uh, getting a chance to meet you, Kim, is awesome. I really appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, it, you know, you bring up a good point. Um, you know, there's, there's those of us who don't speak or don't actually drink like the, the Kool-Aid and the buzzwords <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, it comes with it comes with its blessings and its curses, right? So, yeah. you know, if, if you don't think the same as everybody else, then you tend to stick out a little bit more and become a target. Um, but you also, you know, people remember what you say and people listen to what you say because it's not blended yeah. into the noise. Yeah. Yeah. You know, innovators are almost always criticized. Um, and in today, you think that we'd, we could grow beyond that, especially cybersecurity where lessons need to be learned, right? I mean, one of, one of the biggest problems, one of the biggest challenges we have, guys, is that 
we're not we're not able to learn from everybody else's mistakes. So we're it's like somebody invented the wheel, but we don't know about it because they can't talk about it. They won't talk about it. The reason they won't talk about it is because they can't. It's not that easy. So they do the turtle defense. They pull in their arms and legs and shut up their shell, and nobody learns from them. And so, in fact, I was I was on I was watching a a survey that Chris Roberts had done, and I was. And somebody had said something negative, like, why do people re- respond to these? And I was thinking to myself, you know, it, it, why do I follow them? Why do I take time out of my day to do that? It's because, you know, like I said, I, I'm, a, I'm a guy who collects and, and learns. And there were, you know, out of that one little conversation, I ended up with, you know, a new Discord server that I was a member of and like three new connections. And so, yeah, we, you know, unless you're listening, you won't learn. And, and if you, if you're just, speaking the gospel as, as you've heard it, you're not going to, you're not going to move us forward. You're not going to move cybersecurity forward. Cybersecurity needs unique thinkers and it needs people who, who, um, who aren't afraid and who um, aren't afraid to participate in talk, 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 talk. I mean, I I love your, your magazine and the haunted hacker brand, Um, you know, shedding some light on other people's mistakes it's a big deal. Like I said, you, if you can't learn, you know, from other people's mistakes, I was reading the RSA breach just I don't know, a couple of months ago about the RSA breach. And it was such a close box. I didn't know all the stuff that went on. I don't remember who wrote it, um, who wrote the article. Maybe it was um, dark reading or something like that. But, oh, my God, did you read that? Did you read that whole account yeah. of that? Well, you probably yeah. already knew all of it, but the rest of us didn't. <laughs> it, was, yeah. it was fascinating. It's the same like the, the pipeline, colonial pipeline. You know, they, what we heard on the news was not totally the true story, like the full yeah. story. And there's a lot of things that people don't understand about uh, the economy and the dichotomy of ransomware and, and that whole yeah. environment. So we, we hear like top level stuff, but you don't really hear like the meat of the problems unless you go out and, and search for it and listen to people, even though, you know, some of their ideas may be against the grain. But there's always something good to pull away. And that's the way I look at it. So me and Chris have been friends for a very long time. Um, yeah. And he's one of those guys that he's going to speak his mind um, <laughs> and, and not somebody else's. And that's what I appreciate about him. And that's the way I try to carry myself is I, I don't I listen to what everybody has to say because there's always a jewel hidden somewhere in what they're saying. Um, yeah. And I take what I can. I leave the rest. Um, yeah. But I don't criticize. I don't criticize people participating and getting out there and putting information out there. Um, I know there's a bad habit in cybersecurity where people will make a post based on their experience or, or what they know. And there's yeah. always that one person who comes in and always, always. tries to tear them down. <laughs> and I'm yeah. just like, you know, instead of, of going out there and smashing all these people, why don't you yourself take some time and put yourself out there? Yeah. And see what it's like to share and, and yeah. get that feedback. Or ask um, a question. I love asking yeah. questions. I mean, oh, yeah. And yeah. failing, failing's part of it. I think that yeah. a lot of people haven't had that experience because they're not, they're not brave enough to take that risk. Mm. Um, I failed many times. Uh, so yeah. I was a CISO for a company in Scotland. And literally, they brought me in as a CISO so that they could get into a couple of the financial magazines. And then after that, I never got paid. So it's yeah, one of the it's one of those risks that you take, and you don't really expect that outcome. But yeah. I'm smarter for having gone, gone through that. And I think in cybersecurity, we fail quite a bit, um, but things have become stagnant 
because if you look at the defense platforms, not much has changed over the past 20 years. They're right. a little bit advanced algorithms, a little bit you know, more bells and whistles, but it's still that reactive, semi-proactive look. I think it got stale after IPS. It's because we don't have people who are willing to take that risk and innovate something that is completely different. Um, and right. I, I, have, I haven't seen that a lot. Yeah, it, you know, you couldn't be you couldn't be more right. I mean, taking the risk, putting yourself out there is 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 part of that. And you know, listening to other people's mistakes and other people's like you know, well, I I love hearing what somebody else has done wrong, <laughs> even though I know I've done just as many because we're all humans and we all have X amount of mistakes we're going to make in our lives, no matter what, where, or who you are. In you know. I, learning and trying to not make the same mistakes. That's the thing that's amazing to me in cybersecurity. You know, you have to read an article that's four months old of an event and you're thinking, well, do we do that? And you find out you do do that. And you're like, we've been doing it longer than they did. And we just didn't, it just didn't happen to us. So I think, I think, I think these kind of podcasts, these kind of dialogues, you know, are, are super important. And, you know, it, 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 and when, when somebody hands you the microphone, it's, it's important that you take that opportunity to say things like what we're talking about. Look, you know, yeah, sure, I'm, I've done this and I've done that, but I've also screwed up a time or two, and this is how I did it. And these other times kind of worked okay. But, you know, I think, I think, I think as technologists, I think we're, we're typically kind of critical of ourselves and of everything, and it's hard to break that mold. It's hard. Not to think, oh man, come on, it can't be that easier, it can't be that bad. But uh, it's just a battle. It's a constant battle, even for me. And I'm like I said, I'm a I'm a collector of 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 ideas and and people with with unique thoughts and um, you know, like you said, not much has changed. And so when you hear somebody see something a little bit different, you kind of you kind of perk up. And you're like, well, wow, wow. And I can tell you, I was a CIO. Um, and I, I remember we, we spent all this money. I spent, I can't tell you how many millions and millions of dollars on technology I spent. And every time we like had a, like we saved the company, which we saved the company multiple times just because somebody would walk up to me and say, Hey, did you know we do this? Or did, you know, this buddy of mine heard and you're like, really? And then you get your CISO and you're like, Hey, do we do this? And they're like, ah, I doubt it. And like, well, prove it to me. And you know, that, that human intelligence and that who, you know, that human intelligence, human, what do you call it, human? Human, yeah. Human is paramount. Mm-hmm. I, was at a, I was at a conference in New York. Um, man, <laughs> this is good. The good news is that the company's not around anymore. But I was at a conference. This guy says to me, he says, uh, he's kind of giggling. He says, uh, I heard you lost your keys. And I was like, you know, I'm, I'm not thinking a couple couple drinks in. I'm thinking, what's he talking about? I thought he picked up my hotel room key on the ground or something. Uh-huh. And uh, he says, no, I heard you heard you lost your encryption keys. And I was like, bullshit. You know, that didn't happen to me. You don't lose keys. You don't carry them in your pockets. You don't just leave them on your counter or forget where you left them or whatever. I called my CISO. I was like, hey, this person is telling me this. And they're like, nah, it's bullshit. There's no way that happened. So I go back and I, I call this, I call this guy up on it. And I call his bluff. I say, look, you know, it's not cool. It's not funny. It's not anything, man. You know, 
He goes, no, I'm, I'm, I know I was, was kind of laughing, but I thought you knew it. Short story long, we had an intern who was going to write a paper. And the paper was, how much stuff could he take from a company as an intern and get away with it? And he was going to write a oh. paper about this. Oh. And so we, we, the way we found out about it was the guy who told me this, I don't want to mention too many names, said, well, you're your guy from POS support. And he said his first name. Let's just pretend it was Steve. Oh. He said, Steve. So I called back and they're like, I called my, again, my, my head of POS. And he says, we don't have anybody named Steve. Get a hold of HR. We look around, we look around, come to find out, we find this kid, get him in a conference room. And he's like, yeah, yeah, that's what I did. You know, I, I, I did. I called the POS provider and they gave me the encryption keys. They gave them to me. And all I did was because my caller ID was equal to my company. They said, oh, since they, his caller ID was from the company, they thought he worked in POS support. He took our keys. Wow. Yeah, we had to call the FBI because there was wow. a couple other people involved. And uh, point, point being is that I would not have known any of that unless I had, somebody had said something to me. And it's the technology, you got to have it. it it's, it's foundational, but your ears and your eyes are your best asset, even in cybersecurity. Yep, absolutely. And getting to know your, your employees as people and not just as employees is another good point. Um, I yeah. preach that all the time when I, when I give talks and people say, you know, what's one thing that you would change in 2021? And then they, you know, I'll get, I'll get the next question, the same question next year. What would you change in 2022? And it's yeah. always the same. I, I would tell people to look at their employees as people and, and not as numbers or just employees because they can be your biggest asset if you have a good relationship or they can be your worst nightmare if you don't have a good relationship. Yep. Um, and I think we've gotten away from the human factor. We've gotten away from human touch and, and, and that relationship in the workplace because not only do we work from home, but all the technology that, that we put in between us. And I think that in order to be successful as an industry, we're going to have to get back to, you know, the, the bare knuckles. We're going to have to look at people and relationships and, and realize how important they are yeah. um, and foster them more um, and, and build a, a culture. That's one thing that, that I seem to not be able to find in a lot of companies nowadays is culture. I remember yeah. back in the day um, you worked for, uh, I guess, what used to be St. Corporation. Yeah, yeah, it's still it's still same corporation. Same corporation. It's, still, cool. it's still alive. <laughs> so, so they, they had like a really unique culture back in the day. Um, I, I had been using Saint since it was Satan and, and so on and so forth. And yeah. Billy Austin, yeah. Billy Austin was a good friend of mine. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I saw that that culture that they bred there in Maryland and, and just within the the group itself. Um, and that's kind of what I look for. So, like in my company now, um, I have Luke Pyro McComey that that pulled me into his group. Um, at Blue Bastion, and uh, it's it's a great culture. We have some of the, the best hackers in the industry that work on the red team, but it's not the work, and it's not building of the teams. It's the relationships, and everybody there is friends from some other place, whether it be another company, whether it be the, right. the industry itself, but we right. were friends before we were coworkers, and I think that yeah. helps a lot as well. Yeah, I... I couldn't agree more i mean you get you get in a hurry you only got so many hours in your day the bigger your job is the less hours you have the less in control you are and you you forget you know about that part and now you know now we have 
And, and so you, you think, well, the technology is going to make my decisions for me now. And I'm, I'm a guy that's currently playing in the AI arena. And now we think AI is maybe the answer, <laughs> this sort of pseudo human thing. So maybe maybe that's going to put even more distance, which is which just is the snake eating its own tail. You know, you, you think, well, here, here we are, you know, if, if, if your employees aren't part of the solution, they're the problem. They are the problem. And as you said, the culture is the problem. And you're talking about Saint, there's a guy there named uh, Sam Klein. And he's been there forever. And, you know, that culture is just sort of revolves around him and his, his uh, unbelievably deep knowledge of, of vulnerability management and, and technology and things like that. I love that guy. You know, all the companies I've worked for, I always meet these people like the Sam Kleins that are, um, you just, I'm just always amazed at, at their clarity. And uh, it just doesn't seem to, we just can't seem to commoditize that. We can't seem to teach it. We can't seem to inherit it. I mean, I would look, I was, I was working with a company we took from a, just a small regional little retailer to a, you know, a multi-billion dollar powerhouse. And we sold it um, to another company. And in less than a year, it was, it was gone. In two years, they were delisted. The both companies just dissolved. I mean, they, they still have some, some retail outlets, but in the end, they just absolutely crushed and collapsed into the ground. It was culture, 100% culture, culture versus culture. When those two didn't come together, all was lost. All was lost on day one. Mm. Yeah, so one thing interesting, you know, we worked at another place, a mutual place, uh, Bank of America. Yeah. And yeah. that that culture was very unique. Um, I'm actually still close friends with a lot of people who, who still work there. Um, and I found that culture to be really like, cohesive and, and, and dynamic and flexible. Uh, and it really paved a, a way into what is now my career. But I mean, those people there, like Dan and Tilly and some of those guys, yeah. um, they built those teams around people, not roles. And I, I think that is the key to a lot of good decision-making is, yeah, you may have roles and requirements, but why not identify the people that, that you've seen or, or that you've spent time with or that you've worked with and build a role around that person um, yeah. because you already know that person inside now and they can, yeah. they can create that role. And the best yeah. jobs I've ever had is when people come to me and say, Hey Mike, we want you on your, on our team. Here's a piece of paper, write down your role. And so yeah. I'd write my role and, and that would be my job. And it's yeah. probably the, the best jobs I've ever had is when nice. my personality and challenges and, and skills can dictate what that role is. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I, um, you know, one of the one of the challenges of being a CEO is that you think, well, I got to put my culture. It's got to be it's got to be my part of my culture. It's it's me. It's it's and it's one of the things about being a modern CEO. You, it's so cool. It's so much better, I think, than it used to be. In that you don't you get the flexibility to not necessarily you can you can absorb the Sam Klein or the the you know you know. Roberts or, you know, anybody like that's culture and build off of it. It used to be, it had to be, if you were the CEO, it was your culture. You talk about Bank of America. We had Hugh McCall because I was on the nation's bank side and talking about a character and talking about a culture and, and, you know, really smash mouth banking. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it was a very close, tight knit, tight knit organization. And I think it probably still is today. I, I still have a lot of friends from there, uh, but you know, I, don't, I don't know how many people, I don't really know anybody who's still, still part of that team. It's banking is, you know, banking is a, a roller coaster ride, man. You got to hold yeah. on, hold yeah. on. And, up. <laughs> and the threats and the, and, and the, the emergencies that we used to have is crazy. Um, I actually yeah. followed one of my uh, mentors of Bank of America onto two different companies, um, Dennis Schmidt. He was uh, in technology and I ended up following him to Shortel and became wow. a dire- director of security over there. Um, but yeah, it's, it's those relationships, I think, that really have furthered my career more than anything. Um, being able to work with people that, that I care for, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I, I think there's a lot more problems in the industry um, other than just not recognizing people for people. Um, I think it's the whole culture of we have this unidentified skills gap. And I, I've yet to see this gap in real life. Like I, I, I know that they say it exists. But I don't think we have a skills gap. I think we have a hiring gap. I think the way that we put roles out there and requirements, we're requiring these kids to have all these certifications for an entry-level job. What kid has $5,000 to drop for a certification? Yeah, it yeah. just it, we're, we're asking way too much. And then when I see some of these mid-level jobs, it kind of cracks me up because you know they'll start out with, okay, let's say, take my role, for example, and this wasn't the way it was, but um, MDR manager, right? And then when you look at the requirements, they would have like a block, a literal block of requirements of, oh, you have to know C++, you have to know this, you have to know that. Yeah. They expect you to know all these things, but pay you for about that much. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the biggest failure in the industry right now is be able to look at how we hire, look at the supposed gap and, and skills gap and open jobs that we can't fill and figure out why. It's not because there's not enough people out there. It's because of what we're requesting out of those people, I think. I agree. I couldn't agree more. You know, behind every one of those recs, behind every one of those requirements, there's somebody in technology that's, that's writing that, right? HR didn't write those things. So I don't, I don't know where that's, I don't know why that's so prevalent. I'll tell you, I'm, I'm a huge fan of, of the, you know, the folks that go to the, the technical colleges and things like that. And I, I do quite a bit of mentorship around community colleges and they're, you know, they've got amazing technology and usually the adjunct professors who are teaching there are, are no fool and, you know, technologists that are, that are doing some good work. But I think, I think that maybe in corporate America, that's che- that's not changing as much as we want, but I guarantee you in the, in the, in the, you know, the startups and where oh, yeah. people, are, people are starting to, you know, like my my guys I have now, or even back in Saint or before that, uh, when I had started a, a company that I later sold called uh, Deep Run, I didn't care. I, I care less what school you went to. I all I wanted to know was a what kind of a person were you? Mm-hmm. Can you can you come in and, and be part of the culture? Because it's not you can't pretend to be part of the culture if you, if you can't, if it's not who you are, right. it's better for you to say, no, I don't, I don't, it's probably not the job for me because I don't really like this and that. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, other than that, I, uh, the, the, the skill set is, is really in, in the, the deliverables. Mm-hmm. Can, they, can they deliver and using your imagination? I mean, the, the biggest asset you have 
in cybersecurity today is imagination. And you can teach yourself Python. You can teach yourself Kali. Or, I mean, even I have a box with Kali on it. I mean, <laughs> come on. It, you know, it's easy enough to get some of those skill sets and be able to talk about them. But does that mean you can do anything with it? Can you go out and do a pen test? Can you go out and do, you know, some of the things that you're doing on the red team side? No. Yeah. And it's, I mean, and I think a lot of that too, um, the people coming into the industry, I've seen some really creative people and pe- the best people I've seen so far are not really the ones who have the cybersecurity degrees or all the certifications. They're the people coming from other industries and, and, and other you know, yeah. career fields. You know, they bring, they bring a, a fresh mindset. Um, and yeah. those end up being pretty strong leaders because we've fallen into a bad habit of following previous leadership that's followed previous leadership way back to the dawn of cybersecurity, you know, back before we even had InfoSec. Um, And back then it was a different culture. Um, You know, everybody held tight to information. It was not a sharing type environment. Um, And now we want people to be, you know, creative and collaborative and and unified. But the problem is a lot of the old leadership still believes in that very close knit, keep everything close to you type of situation. Yep. It's hard. I mean, it's hard to, to, you know, open up and, and say what you did and didn't do right. Mm-hmm. And you think, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm supposed to, at this point in my career, I'm supposed to have everything figured out yeah. and uh, I'm supposed to be able to, to, to have all the answers. But uh, it's one of those things that the loudest man in the room is the weakest man in the room today. Person. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Absolutely. So tell me about your, your biggest win as an executive uh, throughout any role, whether it be, you know, CTO, CIO, CTO, uh, whatever. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. So, um, so I got hired for uh, working on for a retailer and a guy named Bob Wildrick is probably not someone you'll hear. You probably don't know about, but he's probably one of the top retailers in, in, in the history of retail, maybe the top three. So he puts together this team, And the team included myself and we were going to take this small regional retailer, which I love retail. I mean, really all business is retail, everything is retail, good side, bad side. It's all retail. He puts together this team and he, um, we get together. We we don't know each other. We don't know whether we even really like each other. Any of us, there's four of us. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've got the technology, you got the CFO, you got the marketing guy, you got the, sales guy and the sourcing guy and all this, the stores guy. And uh, we go through a three-day event and we're trying to figure out what our values are and what a corporate, the corporate, you know, the different mottos are, different things like that. And he, and he, Bob wasn't there. He comes in at the end of the, at the end of the event and he says, you know, what, what do you guys have? And we gave him, we had our flip charts and we showed him what he has. He's like, listen, that's all bullshit. <laughs> he goes, you guys are idiots. He goes, listen, there's two things we're going to focus on. He goes, one is our culture of winning. And the other is we're going to make this company a billion dollar company. And I remember sitting there thinking this man is insane because I had, I had I'd already started working there. I was a couple months into it. Well, we, we didn't have any money. And in fact, our whole, our whole network, you're going to love this. Our whole network was token ring running with passive mouse but it was all done through the RJ11s. So oh, wow. you would have, <laughs> I didn't even know it would work. So you would have the back of your PC, you would have a little hairball of wires coming off of your drop cord and you'd have the four wires plugged into 
the RJ45. And then on the, the phone side, they used the phone back end. It was, they were using the RJ11s. We, so I'm sitting there, he's telling us, we're gonna make this a billion dollar company. I, I, I needed a server. We didn't, we didn't have enough money. So I would buy like one month, I would buy a, a hard drive. The next month I would buy a you know, case. The next month I'd buy a motherboard, et cetera, et cetera. He says, my point is, is that I, 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 at that point, I didn't know what it really took to be successful as, as a businessman. And I knew I loved being a CIO. I knew I liked retail, but that optimism and that hope and not more than hope, it's like you commit to something and you believe in something. Mm-hmm. And, and I believe this, Mike, I think that one of the reasons CIOs have such a hard time in the boardroom is because we're so intensely critical of, of because we have to, it's our nature to be critical because you know, it seems like everything's out to get you. But, but when you get into that boardroom, which, which I was blessed enough to, to finally get a chance to do with the same company, it, companies don't run off of, off of criticality. They run off of hope. They run off of, look, we're going to be a billion dollar company. I'm sitting here trying to figure out how to get a couple hundred bucks to buy some memory for a server. And he's telling me we're going to make this a billion dollar company. I get an opportunity. This is a little bit of a long story. I hope it doesn't. Okay. So I get an opportunity. Suddenly I'm, I'm, I'm the CIO. This guy's, this guy's all over the place. He's going to make a billion dollar company out of it. Probably should have been in chapter 11 at that point. And next thing you know, I'm, I'm in the boardroom. I'm the CIO. And I'm thinking, this is exactly what I always thought should happen. Every board should have a CIO. And you hear this all the time, right? You know, you got to bring the CIO into the boardroom. So here I am, I'm living, I, I am today living proof that it works. However, it's, it's not as, as uh, easy as you think. You don't walk in and the board's saying to you like, oh gosh, with open arms, look, we're, mm. tell us what we need to do. And I remember before the meeting, the chairman would, I always got the last slide of the deck and the chairman before the, before the meeting, before the board meeting, he'd walk up and say, are we secure? And and you know, you know what the answer is. I mean, are we secure? Right. No, we're not secure. We're not. No, we're, like, we're not. We're like we're burning down right now. We saved the world last night. Like I should have a big S on my chest. And I'm like, oh yeah, we're 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 definitely, you know, trying hard to be secure because that's not what I want to hear. And and so and so I would you know give my one slide and you know, he'd be back there going like this because everyone wanted to catch their flights. And anyhow, it, this all builds to what I think was my biggest, single biggest accomplishment, which was when I, when I would get in front of the board after all of this, uh, where the company's growing, uh, I feel pretty good about myself. I can afford to buy a server now. Um, you know, the board decides that they're going to promote me uh, to being a COO. So I'm a CIO, I got every, I, I got the normal weights on my shoulders of being a CIO. Next thing you know, they say, listen, we're gonna, we're gonna give you the stores. So this is a board that allowed the CIO into the board. And then they said, we're gonna let you run our stores. So all of a sudden I've got 3000 people that, that report to me. I've got a corporate jet, I'm flying all over the place. And all of these things that I've never been a better technologist because I knew, I knew what 
the, the IT team needed. And I knew what the business also needed. And suddenly I was able to actually talk to the board in ways that were effective. And we, we literally saved that company multiple times from a technology perspective, mainly because I had this clarity of having the board, having my peers, as well as having IT, sort of building that, that strength. And I was kind of in the middle of it. So, you know, getting into the boardroom, if you, no one's really ready for it, because you, especially from a technology perspective, everything that you've learned as a technologist doesn't work in the board. Right. Uh, if you think they're going to, you know, be leaning forward in their seats, waiting for you to tell them the answer, you're wrong. They used to. So, I mean, I was like a chew toy. I mean, it was so bad. So I would walk into the meeting and when I, I started giving my one slide I got, they would, they would, they would, so I knew I lost, I knew I lost the conversation when they started calling me Spock. So they'd be like, oh, you're just being Spock. Yeah, yeah. You just, you know, how many stores are you going to, you're just trying to spend money. So what I learned was I had to learn it, not just a new grammar, but I had to learn that it was a different culture than I was completely, completely used to. I was there. I did get used as a chew toy because I deserved it. I wasn't ready for it. In the end, I was I was ready for it. And I could say things to the board and they would actually listen to me. And part of it was, was you know, my bigger role. But more than that, you know, I, I realized what it takes, what a company's really run on. And it really, it isn't just you coming in and turning the volume to 11 or thinking that because you, you know, have your CISSP because you've done all of, you've bled for that company. You really have, if you're in IT, you bleed for your company and you right. work hard and you stay up late. You, you do crazy things like leave your family at church and things like that, personally speaking. And so my biggest accomplishment was getting to the point where I was able to actually effectively communicate with my own company in it was, it was almost like perfect pitch. It was almost like a perfect pitch. Mm. We weren't perfect. Uh, we, we, we sold the company in the end. Uh, I told you about that. It didn't, it worked because of the culture, but my single biggest accomplishment was, was being able to effectively communicate to a company um, inside of that company in a way that, that um, drove us. I'm not saying I was the reason, but we took that company from, the brink of disaster to, uh, you know, we sold it for $1.8 billion. It's a public company. So yeah, it was a, it was, it was an amazing journey. Um, my biggest technical accomplishment has little to do with technology. It has to do with the wielding of technology and the usage of technology. I mean, these guys put a technology guy in charge of stores. I mean, who does that? And we were, huge, we were hugely successful, hugely successful. That's an awesome accomplishment as well, because I know with, with retail, um, I did a pen test for a huge uh, global retailer out in California. And the amount of point of sales machines and just servers in general that, that were just horrid. It's um, a hostile and, environment. It's so oh, hostile. Oh my God. 100%. And, and when they have to go and dictate, you know, tell the board, you know, this is, this is what we have and, and this is what's going on. This is what the security test showed. And, and it's never, it's never a good conversation for them. Um, and even in oil and gas, when I was in oil and gas, my, my CISO used to dread uh, talks with the board all the time. He would come to me and say, give me something positive that I can hand to the board. 
So I would look and, and try to come up with something that, that, that was moving in the right direction or that overshadowed a, a failure. But I, I told him, I sat him down, I told him, I was like, look, you know, yeah, I, I know we need to report good things to the board, but we also need to talk about the things that we've struggled with and we've accomplished through that struggle. You know, yeah. it, be real about it. And I think that's one thing that a lot of companies don't do internally and externally. They're not real about their communication. Yeah. Um, you know, people want to hear those failures and, and how they got through those times because it serves as a lesson to somebody else. Yeah. Um, you know, but yeah, in the culture is way different in the board. So I'm on the board of two companies in Europe. And when they first asked me to be a board member, I was just, I was shocked, first of all, because I thought, Man, here's a guy that, you know, I've, I've helped build socks and I've led red teams and I've been a director of security, but I'm not a board member. Like, yeah, I, yeah. I've, I've <laughs> never, I've never had that function. Yeah, but yeah. then I realized that, yeah, it was, it was strange, but then I realized that it wasn't really what I've done that they wanted me to be a part of. It's the way that I thought and the way that I looked forward. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of boards, some of the boards that I've dealt with in the past, I, I think lacked that vision. They weren't looking forward. They were looking at right now. Yeah. Um, what are we doing right now? Show me metrics, show me metrics. And if the metrics were bad, then everything was bad, but they weren't yeah. looking forward to, to, you know, some of those things that had bad metrics was a progression and it wasn't a sprint. It was more of a marathon, yeah. but to communicate that to a board, that's where the real skill lies. I think. Yeah. It's not, you know, it's not a, it's not a, like a circus act. You don't have to get up on a ladder with a bullhorn or anything. It, it, it's, it's not that you, you can try that and it won't work and you can try to, you know, puff up your chest and think, you know, like, Oh, because I'm, I'm, you know, Mike Jones, you're going to listen to me, but it doesn't really work that way. It, it really doesn't in it, it. It's, I think I'm on been on and, you know, my, the one thing I think about the most from a board perspective was my very first board that I was on that, um, that was, it was completely changed my career. Uh, it made me understand that, you know, don't assume. And if you, if you go in with this critical, you know, well, we're not secure because you didn't give me any money. <laughs> You're just going to, they're going to call you Spock and kick you out. <laughs> oh yeah. And anytime you talk money in front of a board too, unless you've got some, some diehard facts and, and a positive outcome for requesting the money, it's going to fall on deaf ears pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah. Look, these, you know, companies, like I said before, you know, for a company to grow, which by definition, it, it, if it's not growing, it's dying. And so for a company to grow, you have to have a certain amount of optimism. And that's, that's what I love about these startups. I mean, mm. I, look, I went from having, you know, a lot of responsibility to, to, just being in the startup world and loving it because everyone is excited and everyone mm -hmm. is pulling and everyone's optimistic and, and you know, a board, it, it has to be that way. And mm -hmm. I mean, good, bad, or indifferent. Certainly you were talking about, you know, give me something positive to say. I can distinctly remember feeling like a sellout the first time I went into a board meeting and said to myself, well, I got to, I gotta be positive because if I'm not positive, they're not gonna have me on the board and they're gonna throw me out. And I'm not even gonna be a CIO. I'm gonna be, you know, working at Radio Shack or something at the time. And I remember thinking, you know, it's it's not about being positive, it's about being part of and feeling that the same pain as everyone else, or eh, the same, not really pain, but 
you know, yeah, we've definitely got some challenges and we are, we're going to do the best we can here. And I, I think one thing I did that, that was, was important. And I think I, I see a lot of this today and I'm, I'm always sort of amazed, as you said earlier, that the same thing still goes on is that, you know, if you're, if you're, if you've talked to more tech environments or tech conferences or tech events then you have your own internal company, then you're part of the problem. If you're not giving your company as many talks, as many presentations, as many uh, you know things about cybersecurity, but yet you're out at RSA or you're out at Black Hat or you're at DEF CON, you're part of the problem, man. <laughs> you need to get back to your company. You need to give your company, you know, a two to one ratio. You talk technologists talking to technologists is integral. It's so important. Mm. But if you're doing that and you're not talking to non-technologists, then you're you're part of the problem, man, because they are. Yeah. <laughs> and if you don't help them, then you're not helping yourself. hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I used to do that. I used to I used to feel like, well, if I if I get an opportunity to talk at RSA, I've mm. made it. I mean, I'm somebody. I've, I've I've made it. But you should be talking to your board. You should be talking to your CFO, your CEO. You should be talking. I remember I sit with my CEO. And he, he, we used to, we used to have these conversations and he, he would close his door because these are things that he thought he should know. Mm. And he, he asked me, he said, well, how does this internet thing work? And I was like, wow. And so we got all little yellow stickies out and we had a whole wall full of stickies in the end, we took them down. Mm. See what I mean? That conversation with he and I, it, all of a sudden I was part of, his inner inner circle just because I didn't go out and say this guy's such an idiot he didn't know what the internet how the internet worked. Right. Instead, I was like, yeah, this is cool. He now knew how the internet worked. Good, maybe for me, maybe good for the company. Um, those conversations are important, and if you're not having them with your CEO, but you are going out and you're giving the demonstrations and you're doing all these things in in, in these different tech conferences, mm. you need to get home. You need to go home. Yeah. You need to take care of your own shop because everything you take care of could could take care of the whole industry you know something you find so oh, exactly and one of the things <laughs> i did when i got to blue bastion um i think it was my second or third week that i was there i actually gave a lunchtime talk on how hackers exfiltrate data through dns and these are some very green you know sock analysts that you know that hadn't had the best training um and you know they've gone through a couple leaders and and you know, just didn't have that person that, that wanted to help really teach them. Yeah. Um, and the training program was just not there. And to me, you know, a lot of people probably would look at it as a challenge, but to me, it was more of a blessing because I got to start with a brand new, fresh group of people who were hungry. And yeah. one of my first promotions was I took a level one up to a level two and two interns a full time because they were so hungry. They wanted that information. Yeah. And, what and, I and they may have left there and gone and saved a whole company, a yeah, country, exactly, <laughs> a hospital, exactly. a, a, you know, it's, it's so amazing. And that transference of knowledge mm -hmm. is incredibly important. And if it's just technologists talking to technologists, mm -hmm. one half of that equation is missing. And yeah. it's without that other half, we will never succeed. And it's that's kind of why I wanted to do the podcast too, because we have all of these great leaders and we have all these people who, who help build what we know today as the industry. But 
how much history, how, how much, you know, written down tribal knowledge do we have? And, you know, yeah. where are these good conversations between some of these leaders that, you know, people generations from now can pull up and be, hey, look, this is what they were talking about back then. Why are we still doing this? I know. Uh, you know, so th to me, this was at first it was just an idea, and now it's more like a history project yeah. for me because I wanted to Real build cool. something, wanted to build something to leave behind to bring people like you on to to talk about your your history and your knowledge and your experience, so that you know maybe a generation or even now someone can pick this up and go, oh hey, that's pretty cool. You know, maybe I might try looking at that differently now. Yeah. So yeah, you know, we, before before we came on, I, I wrote myself a couple notes. I was thinking, well, what? Do what do I want? What do I want to leave here? <laughs> and what I really wanted to, to leave is, is if somebody watches this and then goes back to their company and, you know, does something differently instead of just talking to the technologist, but instead sits down and talks to their CFO. I'd like, I mean, I would love for someone who sees this to say, Hey, I want to go talk to my CEO and say, Hey, you know what DNS is? I mean, it's, Sounds complicated, but this, and do you know what it does? It, 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 it changes one thing and the butterfly effect and you never know what's going to happen. So I, I'm, I'm with you, man. I wanted to do this. I wanted to, to talk to you, you know, a brilliant thinker and think about, you know, what, what we can do differently. Certainly what we're doing today, which is we're not, we're just not transferring that knowledge as much as we should. I, I can't, I mean, the Kaseya, you know, we today it's a little bit more open, maybe. I don't know if that's well, I don't know. I I I am such a A, I'm an iconoclast, but more than that, I'm I'm such a such a um suspicious guy. <laughs> and so I hear it, I'm thinking, oh, I wonder if that's really right. But mm -hmm. I guarantee you, I, I walk away from it and I go to my own shop and I'm like, hey, can we can we look at our do we have anything that's old? Tell me everything we have that's old. Mm. This is right after the Kaseya, like that, the Kaseya, I don't know why, because it, it just really struck me watching their CEO uh, give mm. his mea culpa. Did you watch that? I didn't watch that, but I heard the stories from it. It was, yeah. it was actually pretty sad. <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, but, but at the same time, from his, their, their struggles, I went back and I said, listen, let's, let's look at our, let's look at our legacy stuff <laughs> and let's decide what we do and don't want just because it's legacy doesn't mean it's, it's necessarily bad or it's, it's, you know, going to, going to not live up to some sort of standard, but let's at least look at it. And, and they, I can tell you because of Kaseya, there were, there were a couple of pieces of technology that we, we had to walk away from um, not because it was directly related to Kaseya at all in any way, shape or form, but we really needed to look at um, kind of what practices and what, what um, you know, levels of code they were using. I mean, if you have, a, if you have an application that's using like a, a language that's not supported anymore, mm -hmm. uh, you, you should be using that. You shouldn't be using that product. And so it'll, it'll get you. I mean, so yeah, even, even from that, I didn't get anything from what he said. He did a fantastic job, like mm -hmm. Academy Award winning apology, man. It was, it, he covered all the bases and, uh, you know, I watched it and thought to myself, man, what would I do? I mean, how would I, Hey, how would I, he was so well polished. I'm, I'm liable to just say, look, you know, we did our best and, you know, we got unlucky or something, but this guy was very thorough. Yeah. 
And so, yeah, I, th I think, you know, again, we're kind of touching on the same subjects, but more than anything else is, is, um, you know, learning, learning mm -hmm. from other people's things and, Brian Krebs of all things. I'm oh, yeah. constantly finding things for Brian. And I'm like, like I send him little emails and things like that. And it's not, you know, it's, I don't think Brian would call himself a technologist, but he, he'll write something every once in a while. And I'll think, oh man, I need to go find out what, A, what the heck that is. And B, if, mm. if we're, if we're doing that or if we're part of that. So. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, along the same lines of Kaseya and stuff like that, um, doing incident response has really helped me. I, I hadn't done a whole lot of incident, incident response until this year. And what I found the most interesting and kind of the, the, the most alarming is not so much the ransomware itself or the technical details. It's watching the company react to an event like that and, and what goes to their mind and, and, how the company struggles and, and just the thought patterns behind the executives and how they address the situation. First of all, it's highly technical. Um, and a lot of the C-levels that were involved don't really know that much about it. Um, they're a little bit more removed. Um, so they didn't have that technical knowledge. And then they're dealing with people who are unseen with vulnerabilities that they don't know. Um, yeah. And just watching that pain and seeing how they come out the other end and, and they come out, you know, knowing more, uh, more powerful defensive uh, stance and just it, it helps build their confidence. But in order to build that confidence, they had to go into something that wasn't within their comfort zone. Yeah. They had, they had to struggle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> had to struggle, had to feel some pain, had to work under fire. Um but I think that we all need to do that. You know, not everything in this industry has ever been rainbows and butterflies. I mean, nope. um, I, I've worked for more startups than I have big corporations. And there's a reason for that um, yeah. because I, I learn more there. There's more challenges. There's more struggle when it comes to building, building your service or building your product. Yeah. Um, but there's also a lot of freedom there too, because you get to build it the way that you want to build it. Um, and I think that, after you build that type of environment and you look back and they're, they're being sold and you look back and you think, I built that, like yeah. that, that was my work. That's yeah. a, that to me is fulfilling. I don't know if you get that same feeling like Absolutely. being CEO and board member, but it's, oh, it's yeah. an amazing feeling. I'm a builder and I love to build. I love seeing something we've built and seeing a customer use it or see a, a lot of customers use it and think to myself, man, you know, we, we played a part in that, you know, we, we did this or I, I had this role to play in that, you know? So, yeah, I'm, you know, you, when you were talking about, um, you know, kind of the, the way companies learn and sort of this, this almost violent event of, of having ransomware. I mean, it, it, going through that, you know, for the individual company, it, it, it could either be cathartic, or it can be just the opposite of cathartic, you know, fire the CIO, we'll be okay. He did something wrong. She did something wrong. We did something wrong. And, um, you know, I think I've seen a little bit of both. Um, it's hard, you know, to, to, cause a, it's, there's no such thing as an inexpensive event like that. Yeah. And, uh, B learning, learning from that culturally learning from that, not just, you know, reading the paragraph and, and memorizing a couple words out of it, but culturally changing. I've seen a couple of companies. I'm sure you have too, Mike, where, 
they see to themselves, well, how do we, how do we, how can we, we become different? Mm. And that, that, you know, that opportunity exists all the time. <laughs> yeah. But boy, is it, is it hard to get, get to get the time to do mm. that? So. And it takes more than one person. It takes, it takes a, a shift in mindset of many people to make that kind of change, I think. Yeah. It, everyone, everyone, it's a team sport. If yeah. they're not part of the solution, they're part of the problem. Yep. And no matter what their job is, like I said, I, 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 my biggest saves in the industry, and I've had some, I think, big saves, mm-hmm. uh, have all been because somebody said something to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, hey, you know, somebody told me that we do this. Or somebody told me that they did that, and you know, you know, one of the things, one of the things I used to do with my um, my CISO and his team, and later her team, we, mm-hmm. I used to make them go to our stores. Everybody in our CISO team on the tech, the security team had to go to a store, six stores a year, mm-hmm. and they had to try to take something, or they had to try to put something on a POS because we had a what we call a hot stove rule. And so getting them out and making them literally, these aren't people who necessarily, you know, feel talking about a comfort zone. They all liked it. Mm-hmm. A couple of people, you know, got the sheriff called on them and stuff like that. It became kind of a cool thing for them, but they had to go to the stores and they had to like try to take a POS and you would be shocked. Like we, each one of them, I think we had six people on the team. Each one of them had to go to six stores. We had 640 stores and, you know, they would walk in and say, Hey, I'm, I'm, you know, Mike from IT. I'm going to grab this server real quick mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll bring one back out from my car in just a minute. And they would take the POS out of the cash wrap, take it to the car, take a picture of it and send it to me. Of course, you know, look what I got. Cause I had the stores and I had technology. Mm-hmm. And so the moral of the story is, is they would do that. And it, no one ever lost their job. No, no manager, never, nothing like that. It was always like, listen, you guys, you know, make them, it's, we had a two factor after this thing where the, we lost our keys. We had a, a two factor, no matter what phone call, no right. one would do anything without calling you back from that point on. And so what they would do, I mean, they would walk in and, and um, say, Hey, I'm with corporate. I'm going to sit in the back room for a minute, hook into the, into the, you know, into the hub and, and um, the switch and, and, you know, do whatever they wanted to or add stuff to the hard drive. We were using Tripwire and they would add stuff to the hard drive, take things away from the hard drive and wait for trip, Tripwire to throw a flag and all that. But, you know, you can be, you can be part of your corporate organization in, you know, regardless of, of what your role is without it, without it having to be this, this horrible event, like a, you know, ransomware or Lord help you, you know, somebody, really comes in and takes it, takes everything, you know, and you don't know it for a year or so. So we used to do a lot of things like that and having them, like we used to give, you know, time after time, we would have these brown bag lunches where, you know, we would take somebody and say, okay, you're going to talk about containers today. There'd be like containers. So you want me to talk to containers to a merchant? I'm like, absolutely. I do. They need to understand what a container is. And of course they, they didn't, they didn't retain any of it. I mean, what does a merchant have to do with, you know, using containers for operating systems or something like that? Right. But it was just that interaction, you know, mm-hmm. and getting to know each other. And, and so I, I think, I think that that opportunity still exists. 
way, way, way before you've got to start saying words like red team and, and ransomware and Bitcoin and things like that. You, you have the opportunities right now. <laughs> Just get up and go talk to somebody. Go, go to your CEO and say, hey, you know, I watched this podcast and this guy was talking about, you know, talking about things that maybe you don't know. Maybe I don't know. You know, why don't I have enough money to buy a server? <laughs> and you tell me and I'll tell you, CEO probably doesn't, you know, should, should, shouldn't, especially a modern CEO. And I do distinguish that. Mm-hmm. And you do too. Yeah. A modern CEO should say, yeah, man, sit down. Let's talk. Yeah. What, what, do you, what do you have? What do you think we should, you know, you, you may not, I may not be able to do it. We may not be able to buy a server this month, but I want you to know, I'm, 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 I want to hear you. It, it can happen. And, you know, break down that wall of thinking that because they're the CEO and you're, you're, you know, fresh out of getting your CISO, your CISSP, um, you know, I had to, again, uh, same CEO had to explain to him why we needed a network. He's like, what do you need a network for? He goes, I can get my email now. It's like, listen, we're using token ring. It's like year 2002. (laughs) I was like, listen, I don't know. Uh, we were buying, we were buying Nick cards from eBay. I mean, we, wow. we, yeah, it was crazy. And, you know, then we had to take the RJ 45 and strip out the wires. <laughs> it was nuts. So anyhow, I, we went from that to being a multi-billion dollar company with an amazing network. And uh, we did that. We did that, Mike, we did that through communication, man, not yeah. through threats, not through, mm-hmm jumping up and down and saying the world's going to come to an end. And if you don't give me more money, if you don't send me to DEF CON, I can't protect you. None of that's true. Just yeah. And, and, and that goes back to the brown bag lunches and stuff like that. So I met Chris at a Bank of America brown bag lunch. He came in as a keynote speaker and I was just the new guy and was giving oh, yeah. a brown bag talk about hacking. And that's how I met Chris. Well, um, but, but even talking about like, going up to your CEO and just having that communication, um, even if it's a topic that you know nothing about and you just listen to them. Um, one, of, one of the best conversations I had, um, there was a guy that uh, he was an executive. I didn't really see eye to eye with him, didn't understand him, you know, didn't, he, he carried himself in a different way that I wasn't used to. So I challenged myself. I said, okay, I'm going to get to know this guy, yeah. but I'm going to listen to what he talks about the most because that's his passion and I'm going to go and engage with him on that topic just to let him talk and, and just engage yeah. with him. Um, because I think a lot of people have a lot of fear of executives too, you know, coming into a new company, you know, and they see those executives as off limits. And, oh, don't, you know, sure. let's just fly under the radar so that yeah. we don't, so we're no, not seen. Talking about anachronisms and talking about the past, we still have those things. Just amazing. Go ahead. I, I'm shocked that yeah. people, yeah, so it's, don't, don't enforce that or encourage that. Yeah, so it, what I did was I was just like, you know, I'm not going to let this guy intimidate me because he intimidated a lot of people just by his his, his presence, I guess. Um, so I went in, sat with him, and, and said, "Hey, you know, can can I have ten minutes?" And he was like, "Sure, sit down." Um, yeah. And I was starting public speaking, and I had just given my first talk, and I said, you know, I knew he was big into public speaking. I knew that he that was his thing, and he loved it. Yeah. And so I just went and engaged with him. I was like, you know. Tell me things that I should know as, as someone new doing this. And he went on for like an hour and a half. And yeah. before I knew it, it was like 6 p.m. And I'm like, oh, got to go. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's late. Because well, nobody, nobody was talking to him. Nobody right. he was sitting there all day thinking, 
man, I got something to say, but no, he goes home and his wife listens to him or his husband or whatever. But yeah, uh, he probably loved that. Probably made his day. Yeah. So from that point on, it, it wasn't that, you know, he's walking one way and I walk, you know, we're passing, we don't talk. We, you know, at that point it was like, Hey, how are you doing? You know, is everything good? You know, do you need anything? Um, so it completely changed the relationship. And I think that more people getting into cybersecurity need to take those risks and yeah. don't, don't look at people as being off limits. Even like people you see on LinkedIn who have, you know, 20,000 followers or who are like in the 1% of LinkedIn influencers, um, take a risk, reach out to them, you know, and if they don't, if they don't respond back, then they probably shouldn't be that 1%. Um, (laughs) Right. I take, I take, I take time to respond to everybody who reaches out. Yeah. 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 I agree. And you know, what, one thing I want to talk about just real quick, we're probably Mm going to run out of time is one of the things that I'm, I'm, as I said, I'm a, I'm a collector of, of thoughts and, and, you know, mainly because I'm a builder and, and everything I build is built on other people, what they've said, what they've done. I'm amazed how, how rare it is when an idea is uniquely mine. <laughs> it's usually something I heard from you, Kim, Chris, somebody said something. And I'm like, wow, I can do that. And, and so one, one of the things that I'm really, really into today is, is following the, the hacker community as a CEO. Forget about the fact that I, I run a cybersecurity company. Right. But right now, is a guy who kind of specializes, as it were, in, in these unique thinkers. The real unique thoughts coming out of the industry today are coming from the hacker community. And there's still, there's still this kind of undertow at times of bitterness and you know things like I'm misunderstood and, and all these things like that. But for the most part, if you want to know, you know what's going on, you know, I, I'm only on Twitter to go out and follow the bug bounty folks. There's some interesting stuff out there from those. I'm on Discord. I watch you. I listen to, you know, I, LinkedIn is sort of a little cool little magnet, right? You can decide what you want to attract. And you, like you said, what I'll do is I'll, I'll, you know, through my associations with yourself or whomever else, I'll start following their followings and, and all of that. Next thing you know, I've got a whole community that I've built around a subject that really, really matters. LinkedIn is perfect for that. Mm-hmm. I've got, I don't, I don't know how many people I, I've linked to, but I kind of go from one thing to the next thing, sometimes to other things. But right now in this industry, the, the, the deep thinkers are, mm-hmm. are the folks that are coming out of the, out of the hacker community. And yeah. I, I don't know exactly why, but I think it's, it needs to come from, from somewhere. And I think that, you know, maybe, maybe you've got some thoughts. Yeah, we, we tend to think out of the box in general. Um, yeah. The way that I explain uh, the word hacker to kids in school and people who aren't tech is that you're given a book when you learn how to drive. And in that book, it tells you which way to go, what signs to look at. You know, it, it, everything is laid out for you and it's very strict. But there's always going to be that one person who wants to test the boundaries drive a little bit faster, you know, merge too quick. Um, and sometimes they get in accidents and sometimes they get to where they're going a lot quicker. Um, but we're usually the ones who think differently and look at things and, and look at the world a little bit differently. So my analogy for networks, and this has helped me since I was a little kid, was my family's in medical, right? Um, at one point I wanted to be medical, but it just didn't go that way. So I look at 
networks, just like I look at human anatomy, the heart, the brain, you know, the vessels being the, the ethernet connections and, and everything makes sense that way to me. Yeah. Um, but again, that's thinking differently than, than the standard. Um, and I think the reason why that, that we tend to come up with the new ideas is because we're always looking at the new technology and new ways to compromise things. And so we're constantly learning, constantly learning. And um, the more innovation that, that the industry has as far as technology, the more education it gives us and more, more ways to give back, I think. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, I'm, uh, I'm on your Discord a lot. No, I should say a lot. I kind of put Discord off to the side and I watch it every once in a while. You've got a guy, I think his name's McChicken or something, McNugget, McChicken. Mm-hmm. I'm always shocked what he puts out there. I mean, like you don't, he'll put out, I don't, I don't, know, I don't know if you know who this is, but he, he'll put all these things, or he or she, I, don't, I keep saying he, but you know, whoever they are. Yeah. And I'm always finding things like, oh, I need to go figure out what the heck that is. But there's nowhere else to go find. There's nowhere else to have that dialogue, as it were. And so that, I, I think anyone who is in the, in the cybersecurity business, and certainly regardless of me being in the cybersecurity business, I've got a company to protect. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you're constantly learning. You should be out there trying to constantly find the information. You're not going to find it reading a trade magazine. Yeah. You're just not. I mean, we've all written articles for some of these magazines. I, I don't want to say who they are. I'd love to write one for you. I told Kim someday I will, but absolutely. But it's all you know. Once it gets through editing and everything, it's it's just so washed down, and it's so many few words and all the parts where you were like really, really thumping the Bible and really mm-hmm. bringing the fire and brimstone. They cut out. <laughs> so you go to Discord and you go what look at uh, this McChicken folk guy in, in the. I, I I don't know why he just seems to stands out because he's always posting things that he finds or she finds whoever it is. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yeah, I, I, I think the community is, is to be um, coveted. Uh, and I, I think it's interesting that it's just sort of now emerging. You know, mm-hmm. I know you, like I, I've gone through a bunch of your podcasts just to see who's who, <laughs> but it seems like everyone's kind of coming not out of the shadows, but they're not afraid to have a podcast and say, yeah, I did some stuff. I don't do it anymore, but I know, I know what it's like to feel that way. And I think it's a huge, hugely valuable asset to, to the businesses as well as the technology, as well as the, the cybersecurity. So, Absolutely. The, the more exposure and the more that we can communicate on the same level, I think that is where the benefit is going to come from. Um, yeah. no, no longer people putting themselves in places that are isolated. Like C-levels are now talking to, you know, on the podcast and Discord, we have C-levels, we have CEOs, we have owners, we have people in finance all over the place and they're yeah, all yeah. talking to each other on the same day. Yeah. And I think that's what it takes. It, it takes that talking without barriers, that communication without barriers to really get somewhere. And yeah. I think the more that we can do that, you know, even though it's a grassroots type movement, the more that we can do that across the industry, the better off things will be. Yeah. So. Yeah. It, 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 you do have a little like a level of a non, you know, anonymity when you're out and you can, you can kind of, lurk around and, and see what people are saying and, and, and then go off and, and look yourself, which is sometimes more comfortable than saying something like, I, I don't have any idea what DNS is, you know, right. Right. You, you have that opportunity and all that information's out there. It just takes just a little bit of effort. And I think being 
a, a leader today, um, it's required. Mm-hmm. You, you have to. I mean, it thinks this technology, I think we're we're at, at not a the golden age, but I think technology today is more exciting than it's ever been before. Mm. The cloud, MSPs have come out, they're doing amazing things because so everyone doesn't have to have their own IT shop. Mm-hmm. All of those things are just amazing. The communications and you know the technology is is so dense and so it's everywhere. Know, it's everywhere, man. It's everywhere. So if you're not if you're not making an effort, you're like you remember when you, you first started out of college and you know all these gray-haired folks, you're like, oh my god, they don't even know what we're talking about. They, mm-hmm. they don't even know what you know. All they they're thinking about punch cards. It's it's mm-hmm. insane. It's insanity. We have PCs today. It, there's like a whole new generation who should know better, but they're sitting there saying, well, I don't know what a cloud is. I don't know how clouds work. I don't, what do you mean cloud security? What do you mean, you know, um, external attack surfaces? Well, you better know, mm-hmm. you better know. Cause if you don't, if you don't find out, if you don't make the effort, you're, you're doomed. Man. And there's, there's a lot, there's a lot of people coming into the industry that do exactly that. And I talk about on most of my podcasts that I always get that one question, you know, how do I do this? And I'm like, have you looked it up? Have you researched it? Well, no, I, I, want you to tell me. I, I want you to tell me. And I'm like, dude, back when I learned how to hack, and when I got into technology, there was no Google. There was no, I can put anything in and all the answers come out. Yeah. Um, for yeah. me, that, that was a magic eight ball. That was the closest we got to, to something that gave answers, you know? Yeah. So I always tell them, you know, go back, research. If you still have questions after you've done what you feel like is, is enough research, then we'll talk. But yeah. you have a plethora of information. You have a whole world full of culmination of servers and documents yeah. that you can sift through that has everything. Yeah. It might not be as nice and tidy as Wikipedia or something like right. that, but it's out there. And there's some cool dialogue going on. There's some interesting information you can find with just a little bit of effort. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, For sure. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you uh, being on the show, Gary. It's, uh, it's been a yeah. pleasure. Um, love having you on and, and love having you as part of the group. And, and uh, I hope you continue to lurk in discord because you know, <laughs> we've, we've made some, uh, some, some changes some cultural changes within uh, the Han hacker community and, and really pushing forward uh, some new stuff. So it yeah. should be pretty exciting. Yeah. I'm, I'm totally honored that I'm part of this family. I told myself if I get through this, I don't seem like a complete idiot. They'll actually publish this thing. And I'll be part forever. I'll be part of the, you know, the haunted hacker family, no matter what. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's the cool thing about this podcast is every guest that I bring on, um, it's a new friendship for me. Yeah. Uh, right and on. I publish everything. And what people don't understand is there is no real editing that goes on with these shows. It gets put out just as it happened. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that's the beauty of it. We can have real conversations about real things and, and nothing is doctored and it's thrown right back up. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I've, I've watched a bunch of years and I kept thinking to myself, well, what, how do I, like the last guy you had, uh, Kevin Johnson or something like that. Kevin Thomas, yeah. Kevin Thomas, he was like, talking about fire and brimstone, he was standing up, he was looking at the camera, he was like, I, was, I thought he was getting ready to jump on top of his monitor and grab it and start shaking it around. I was like, dude, he was absolutely, uh, he was so intense. I watched it, I kept backing it up thinking, is he like, is he got the camera like holding it in front of his face? It was, it was awesome, man. It was, yeah, he's, he's pretty, uh, he's pretty, <laughs> pretty vibrant and very intense and, and really wants okay. to see things change. Yeah. You know, and, and when I was watching it, I was kind of thinking that this, that's probably one of the reasons I, I started with this 
whole conversation about, you know, having, being able to talk in a way that's effective. And it's not the, you know, the diction of your voice. It's not, it's inflection of your voice. I mean, it, it's, it's taking the time and listen, be, being part of it and giving it a little bit of time. And if you think you can turn the volume above 10 to 11 to 12 and, and it'll get what you want, it won't. You, you failed it. You know, if you're one of the things I used to say to myself is if I'm explaining, I'm losing in, especially at the boardroom. And so finding ways to, to be effective uh, wasn't just about being a good public speaker or, you know, how I, how I dressed or anything like that. It was being contextually correct and finding, you know, that it's like telling a joke. If you, if you don't do it with the right tempo, false no matter how funny it is so exactly exactly all right well i I appreciate it and uh you know we'll uh, go ahead and get this put up on the web so that the rest of the world can can take a look at gary mary and and our conversation and you know i look forward to having you on the next time thanks mike appreciate it kim thank you very much thanks guys have a good one take care now all right bye